I stepped back in fear, thinking I was dead. With my back against the wall, I squeezed my eyes shut and couldn't hold back a scream. Now this huge hot dog was going to kill me for sure. Why did we even come out of the bunker? Hi, my name's Stacy, and I lived in a bunker with my family for 17 years. And it honestly wasn't the best idea to come out of there. But back to me and the killer hot dog, which was reaching out to me. He must have had a gun in there. I screamed even louder. And I think the hot dog himself was scared by my scream. Come on, it's just a flyer for a coffee shop. You don't have to react like that. No, I mean, I know I've pissed off everyone in this neighborhood. But your reaction, miss, is very hurtful, you know. What? You can talk? I asked with a dumbfounded expression, touching a soft hot dog. It's strange. It's made of some kind of material. Pleasant to the touch. Isn't it real? Of course I can. I'm actually a human being too, and you should respect my work. An offended hot dog threw some colorful flyers at my feet and walked away to my loud laughter. I couldn't calm down when I imagined what the whole situation looked like from the outside. And I didn't know people here dressed up in food costumes to promote the food itself. Well, that's not a bad move. I took the flyer and went to the cafe to get my free hot dog. And while I ate the tastiest food in the world, sitting at a table, I thought about my parents who are probably looking all over town for me. We came out of the bunker not long ago. Honestly, I thought I'd spend my whole life in it because mom and dad were terrified of the outside world. They always told me it wasn't safe here and I believed them, even though it made me sad. We had a lot of books in the bunker and I read them every day and they were so interesting and exciting. I wanted to see more and more of the outside world every day. But then something clicked in their heads and they realized that they couldn't keep me in isolation forever. So when I turned 17, we went out on the surface and I was blown away by how big and noisy the world really was. Honestly, I was expecting to see vast oceans and pirates. And by the way, I did see them, except they weren't sailing in a huge ship. They were entertaining children near some tall building. I ran up to them with a happy smile and I told them I wanted to be a pirate too, to look for treasure. The pirate even got confused and I took away his sword and began to scare the children, thinking that they probably want to take the chest of gold. But the children were not frightened. They laughed and shouted for joy, and one of them even took my sword and bent it. It's not real? I wondered. Of course it isn't real. The pirate grumbled. So you're not a real pirate? I was about to burst into tears. Girl, are you out of the woods? Pirate don't exist since a long time ago. Now go away and don't interfere with children's party. Not only had I been insulted, but I was disappointed in pirates. But that wasn't the worst part. I lost my head so much in joy when I saw the pirates that I ran away from my parents and got lost. At first, panic overwhelmed me and I couldn't breathe. The high-rises were floating in front of my eyes and my head was spinning. But when I calmed down, I realized this was a great chance to explore the real world. I was sure my parents had limited me in many ways. And then an epic encounter with the hot dog happened, which scared the crap out of me because I didn't know that food had learned to walk. But as it turned out, it was just a man who made me try a hot dog for the first time in my life. 
To be honest, I was getting pretty tired of canned food. When I walked out of the cafe, insanely happy, I almost got hit by a car on the road. Look where you're going! The driver shouted at me. You watch where you're going! Can't you see that the light is red? Girls aren't allowed to cross the road on red. The driver, upon hearing this, wagged his finger at my temple, and I showed him my tongue and crossed the road still, even though other cars were honking their horns. Oh, what strange rules they have! Who decided to discriminate against women and forbid them to cross the road at a red light? But as soon as I stepped back from that rudeness, someone grabbed my arm. Jin, how many times do we have to look for you? We're in the middle of a photo shoot. There was a disgruntled woman standing in front of me I've never seen before in my life. But I didn't. Let's go. Otherwise, Alex will be furious. What's the matter with you anyway? You're dressed like you just got out of the bunker. But I am. That's a good one, Jean. But now is not the time for it. I spent the whole trip trying to explain to the stranger that she'd mistaken me with someone else. But the woman was either on the phone with someone else or she wasn't paying attention to me. We arrived at some studio. The photographer looked at me unhappily and said I looked terrible. Is everyone here so rude? I got indignant and crossed my arms. You act like it's your first day on the job, girl. Alex snorted. Run and get changed. I don't want to see that trash on you again. They took me to a room with a big mirror and I got makeup and cool fancy clothes, which were more like shapeless rags. How are my clothes any worse? They're even better. What kind of fashion is this? During the photo shoot, Alex kept yelling at me because my posing was awful and I didn't know how else to stand. I wanted to cry and go back to the bunker because my loving parents were waiting for me there, not angry photographers. You're crying too? You're crazy. We're gonna have to do your makeup all over again. I'm not Jin, leave me alone. Have you been out till morning again? You feel very bad if you don't get enough sleep. That's enough, I'm leaving. They tried to stop me. Fortunately, the real Jin appeared in the studio at that time. She stared at me in utter shock. Alex and that woman were also surprised. They'd mistaken their motto with me. However, there was no apology from them. They just threw me out, calling me a fraud. How rude people are after all. After that incident, I sat down on the pavement and I cried. I was so scared. I was lost and didn't know how to find my parents. I wanted to go back to the bunker. And even though it was cramped and gloomy, it was a normal environment for me and my family. I walked down the street as far as I could see until I met a policeman. Seeing my condition, he asked me what had happened. I told him the details of my situation. He didn't believe me about the bunker, but he promised to find my parents. They took me to the police station, where I spent full 24 hours. But it was worth it, because the next night, my parents came to pick me up. Stacy, honey, we're so glad we found you. We were so worried. Me too. I hugged mom and dad, and I cried tears of joy. The policeman asked me sternly if it was true that we were living in a bunker. I just wanted to say that it was true. My father interrupted and said, That a bunker is what we call our little provincial town. Later, my parents explained to me that we shouldn't tell outsiders where we lived. Are we going back to the bunker? No, my daughter. My mother said, and she stroked my head. We'll live here now. I was very upset because I didn't like this world at all. In the books, it was different, but in reality, it was noisy and 
dusty and terribly cruel. Turns out, my parents had an apartment all along. We started living there. At first, it was very hard for me to fall asleep in a soft bed, going out to the store every day and standing in huge lines. But most of all, for some reason, it was the loud music that scared me. I wanted to hide from it as quickly as possible. Also, it seemed very strange to me that people would ask me how I was doing, but when I started to tell them my life story, they didn't listen to me at all. How silly. They asked, didn't they? However, I really liked the internet. But when I started using it, I ran into some scammers. They stole all the money from my dad's account that I'd been saving in there for 20 years. Can you believe it? I was so ashamed. I even tried to lie about having nothing to do with it. You think the money disappeared on its own? Dad frowned. Of course. The internet is so unpredictable and confusing. But in the end, Dad cracked me up and only scolded me for lying to him. That's how we ended up with no money. I was insanely ashamed of what I'd done, and I wanted to give my father back all his savings. But how? I don't know how to do anything. I didn't even go to school. They probably wouldn't hire me without it. However, good luck turned to me. One day, I met the very same gin in a store. The girl recognized me and apologized for the way I'd been treated so rudely. And then, she made me a lucrative offer. Since we looked so much alike, we could do a couple's photo shoot. That would be awesome. The PR people would come up with a story about missing twins who meet up years later. But that's a lie. I objected. Yeah, but why do we care? They'll pay a lot. That's all that matters. Do you agree? Of course I said yes. After all, our family needed the money. But I really didn't like modeling. Everyone yelled at me. They were always pulling my hair. And I had to pose for hours at a time. Oh, it was exhausting. Jin, on the other hand, was happy with everything. She once told me that we were making a lot of money now, and she was giving half of it to me. But then I found out by chance that she wasn't giving me half of what she earned, but only a third. Even she lied to me, although I trusted her, told her about the problems in the family. But Jin was devoid of empathy, and she cared more about making money than about my trouble. After that, I quit my job, even though I needed the money. Our family would get by somehow, but I wasn't going to put up with the lie, because I knew that if you've been cheated once, then they would cheat you the second and third time. My parents, learning about this situation, supported me, and then made an appointment to see a psychologist, because every day in the big city, I was getting worse and worse. Thanks to therapy, I stopped being afraid of music big buildings, and the strange people that were all around me. And I finally started using the subway, and I even felt comfortable there. The subway was underground. It reminded me remotely of my home bunker. Later, when our family had money, my parents hired me a homeschooling teacher, so I wouldn't look too stupid at 17. That's how drastically my life changed when I came out of the bunker. I'm used to it now. And I remember my past adventures with laughter. How would you feel in the big city after living in isolation? Write your answers in the comments. Click the bell so you don't miss new stories. And like this video. The obstacle course seemed endless to me. 
even though I only had to run a few meters. The more I accelerated, the more my stomach bounced, and then my cheeks started bouncing in tune with it. I was like pudding, rolling down the road in the sun. After running only 100 meters from the start, I stopped to catch my breath. And after, I looked at my belly peeking out from under my tank top. The sweat was joined by tears, and I would have just walked away. But my trainer, Mr. Osfield, aka Bull, ran up to me and started yelling right in my ear. Get your ass together and get your fat sides over that wall, now! I wouldn't have listened to him either, but there in the stands was my dream guy, Felix. I took one last deep breath, spread out, and jumped against the wall. I felt like I was trying to lift a truck. One last tug, and, and, I was stuck. My stomach was hanging on either side of the wall like jelly, and I was hanging on it like a fat fish thrown on a rock. I could hear the guys laughing, the screams of the coach, but I could barely hear them over my own heavy breathing. When I lowered my head, my huge cheeks hung limply, and I cried. Hi, my name is Kara, and I was forced to pretend to be fat. This led to my crush falling in love with me. But before I tell you how it all started, I'm going to ask you to put a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. It all started back in summer when I lost an argument I was sure I'd win. I almost always win bets, so I wasn't afraid to bet high. That's when my friends who usually lost to me had a blast. I had to pretend that I had gained a lot of weight over the summer. The most frustrating part was that I have a perfect figure. I'm a cheerleader, and Coach Osfield is the proudest of me. What's the big deal? The guys are judging the girls at our school by my figure. But a bet is a bet, and I began to prepare for a hell of a fight. Of course, I didn't get fat. I just enlisted the help of a friend of mine who worked as a makeup artist at a local theater. My fat pads looked like real fat. Even to the touch, it was indistinguishable from real skin. And it weighed just as much, by the way. The first time I put on my costume, I fell, which made one of my cheeks fall off and roll down the stairs. Before the new school year, I tried to get out of school as much as I could, but in the end, my pride wouldn't let me refuse the terms of the bet. Oh yes, the first day of school in my new body I'll never forget. At first, it went well. The other kids didn't even recognize me. Mr. Osfield even wanted to go to the principal and ask why he got such a fat girl in his group. Coach, that's Kara, suddenly shouted out Rachel. I just hate Rachel. She's my biggest enemy who wants to be captain of the cheerleaders instead of me. Mr. Osfield froze and clutched at his heart. Seriously, he looked like he was having a heart attack. Some of the boys got scared and ran to the school doctor. Coach didn't move and looked at me, and then his lips tightened and trembled. For what, Kara? He exhaled. Coach, I... Don't. He clenched his fist on his chest. I don't want to hear it. Mr. Osfield pulled a plush crocodile out of his pocket, squeezed hard, and quickly walked away, locking himself in his office for the day. Somebody said he even cried, and that surprised everybody. By the way, my figure was still being cited, but now they were measuring all the fat girls in school by me. That wasn't the worst part, though. My greatest fear was running into Felix, but it was inevitable. Despite my good looks, I couldn't win him over, 
and now I was afraid I'd disappear from his sight for good. I didn't even go near him. Because of fear, I'd be laughed at. Also, gaining weight, I faced some difficulties. As I became fat, I understood why the Hulk hated stairs. I started climbing them long before class started because I had to make constant stops to catch my breath. And those little desks in school. Not only that, on my way to the blackboard, I was like an icebreaker, hooking my huge sides to other desks and chairs. I also had to have my desk redesigned so that I can sit in it. I thought it couldn't get any worse, but I couldn't stop cringing. I was in a hurry to get to class, trying to move my carcass as fast as I could. Suddenly, I felt the floor slipping out from under me. My makeup would have protected me from the impact, but Felix jumped out to catch me. No! I screamed, but it was too late. Felix disappeared beneath me with a short cry. All I could see was his arm sticking out from under me, and the boy wasn't moving. I killed my crush! I crushed him! The other guys helped lift me off of Felix. He was lying unconscious. Under the taunts and screams of the boys, I ran out of the school at the speed of a turtle. When I got home, I hysterically texted my friends to go to hell with their argument. Oddly enough, they agreed to cancel it, saying I'd been through enough. Oh, with how much of hatred I wanted to say goodbye to this makeup. I even made a fire in the backyard to burn it. And then, waiting for the flames to ignite, I got a message from Felix. He was sorry about what happened, and he just said the guys were being unfair to me. And then he offered me his support. Support! Felix wants to talk to me! Ah! I noticed in horror that some of my makeup was already in the fire. I immediately pulled it out and began to extinguish the flames. No, I'm not getting rid of it now. For Felix's sake, I was willing to put up with it. Felix kept his word, and when I got to school, he started fighting back against my bullies. He even dared to talk to Mr. Osfield, who refused to let me into his classes. It turned out to be an idiotic idea, though. The trainer was determined to get me back into shape by all means, so he put together a complicated weight loss program. But I can't lose weight. It's makeup. I can't pay for a few more costumes with a skinnier version of myself either. After all, I haven't even had time to pay for this one yet. But at that moment, I was so charmed by Felix's courage and care that I agreed to the grueling training sessions. Not only did Felix have to drive me away from training in a gurney, Rachel became captain of the cheerleaders, the year of the state's premier cheerleading competition. I'd been working my way to winning it for three years. I exhausted myself with training and dieting. And now this bitch has taken my spot. It was one of those workouts. I got stuck in an obstacle course. That's where my story began, and it got even more complicated from there. Despite all the difficulties, there was a huge upside to the situation. Felix and I started hanging out a lot. He even took me to a cafe with diet food, and I mistook it for a date. I was ready to squeal with delight, and I decided that if the date went well, I would finally take off this stupid makeup and open up to the guy in all his glory. But in fact, I was waiting for a bummer of galactic proportions. You know, Kara, I didn't know you were such a good girl. Felix covered my plump hand with his, and I was ready to howl in frustration that I couldn't feel his touch because of the makeup. I'm glad looks aren't important to you, I exhaled excitedly. Well, actually, it does matter. I don't like people who chase their beauty. I thought that's what you were. What? My cheeks jumped in outrage. You're handsome yourself. I wasn't always like this. 
Felix's face turned dark and squeezed his fork so tight that he almost bent it. I was the way you are now and endured a lot of mocking. My older brother even dressed me up as a fat man to cheer me up. But that's insulting and very low. I'll never forgive that. You understand me, don't you? Yeah, I said and laughed nervously. It's a real failure. Felix told me about the abuse and the long treatment. He couldn't stand making fun of fat people, and in his eyes, the fact that I wore this makeup would also be a mockery. I was faced with the hardest choice of my life. I could go on pretending to be fat and pretend to lose weight to keep Felix around. Or I could take off that hideous makeup, upset Felix, but go back to being a cheerleader. I take down Rachel, make myself captain again, and be famous across the state but my crush on Felix blinded me. Why would I need all that if my crush wasn't around? I kept going to workouts to beat the weight loss, and I was saving up for a new makeup job, but it all sorted itself out. Felix asked me out on a romantic date. He wanted to see the waterfalls together. The two of us were on a boat, and I was ready to melt in love with my bow. Everything was perfect, but blinded by love, I forgot the most important rule. Makeup is afraid of water. As we swam close to the waterfall, I felt my cheek peel away. Kara, what's wrong with you? Felix looked at me in surprise. I was smiling like a fool. My tooth hurts. I lied trying to keep my makeup on. You don't look so good. Why don't I take you home? Yes, yes. Hurry, Felix. I had already succumbed to panic, and I could feel my stomach sliding down. And as soon as we got ashore, it happened. Ah, what the hell is that? Felix, pale as chalk, looked at the belly, falling out from under my sweatshirt. And my cheek did fall off. The guy rolled his eyes and collapsed unconscious. Help! Help somebody! I screamed, but people tried to help me first, watching my skin fall off in huge chunks. When all this horror was over and Felix came to his senses... He said he never wanted to see me again. You're as soulless as the rest of them. I was right. You're just a doll who loves her body and makes fun of others. It was a bet. A normal person would refuse such a vile argument. Felix turned away angrily. You know what? You need to stop whining. I was furious, waving my unusually light arms. You should be proud that you made it through the weight loss, not be resentful of the world. I never made fun of overweight people. And yes, I love my body. I keep myself in shape so I don't turn into this. I jabbed my finger at the makeup on the ground and walked away proudly. The next day, my appearance at school was an extravaganza. Coach Osfield carried me in his arms and almost cried tears of joy. Rachel, on the other hand, was ready to roar with anger because Coach had put me right back in the captain's chair. I'd gotten over the fact that I'd lost Felix. But then I saw him in the bleachers during the state tournament. He was holding a sign with my name on it. Kara, you were right. The guy ran up to me after my brilliant performance. I was so caught up in the past that I almost missed out on my beautiful future. You. He suddenly held me close to him. I found out who you are inside, and that's the most important thing. That's how an idiotic argument and a tough test turned into a series of victories for me. What's more important to you, the outside or the inside of a person? Write your answers in the comments. Hi guys, I'm Rachel, but you can just call me Ray. My story is about how our family came to live on an island. And we lived there all alone, we thought. It all started on a normal Friday night. 
My dad had a family meeting. In the living room, my parents, me, and my dim-witted brother, Jack. Dad proudly declared, I've worked hard and finally saved the right amount for my dream. My brother asked, how much did it add up to? $300 million. Dad proudly replied. We all whistled in amazement. Well, I should tell you that my dad had started his own stationery company when he was young, working and saving all his life. So when I realized where he was going, I exclaimed, please don't tell me you bought it after all. My father interrupted my pathetic cry. I bought an island and we're moving. No! I was only 16 years old. And you must understand, I had my life all set up. School, friends, a boyfriend I was secretly in love with. I didn't want to change anything. So when Dad sent us packing, I protested. But Mom reassured me a little. Ray, it's summer. We'll live there for a bit. You'll love it. Mom, that's ridiculous. What island? But it's Daddy's dream. He cares about us. Give him a chance. I puffed up like that spiny fish, showing my displeasure, but still went to my room to pack my bags. In the morning, our whole family was on the pier, waiting for the boat. Instead of a beautiful yacht, came a cargo ship. All of us climbed aboard. Dad walked past the huge containers and narrated, This is where we keep our groceries. I only took the ones that don't spoil quickly. He pointed to the next one. Here are the building materials. That's when my dumb brother decided to get involved. He pointed to the largest container and yelled, And this is where all of Rachel's clothes are, right? Dad and my brother laughed. At that moment, I felt the ship move. It took us two whole days to get to the island. By the way, it turned out that my brother Jack gets seasick. So I had fun watching him suffer. So what? He makes fun of me. Well, finally, we made it. Huge containers were stacked right on the shore. And a little further away, my Robinson daddy decided to set up a camp. All day long, we were setting up bungalows. And at some point, I got so bored, I said, I'm going for a walk around the island. Daddy wanted to say something to me, but Mom said I needed to be alone. In fact, I wanted to call my friend Shelly and complain to her. I wandered around the island looking for a place where I could get a signal, but no luck. And then I saw the highest mountain. As I mustered my strength, I decided to climb it. It wasn't easy, and I crawled on all fours for the last hundred meters. After catching my breath, I took out my phone, but there was still no signal. I rushed around the mountaintop, but all in vain. We were cut off from the outside world. Suddenly, I stepped on something soft and hot. I jerked my foot away sharply. There were embers from a fire, and it seemed as if it was still burning not long ago. An extraordinary thought crossed my mind. If someone made a fire, then we're not alone here after all. And at the same moment, I heard some rustling in the bushes. I screamed like a lunatic. I rushed off this mountain. I didn't stop until I got to camp. My mother met me at our camp. What happened? After such a marathon, I could barely get it out. There's someone else on the island. Dad and my brother just laughed. Dad said, of course there are, rodents and birds, but no one besides them. 
dad didn't even want to listen to me, which made me very angry. Soon it got dark, and after dinner, we all went to bed, but we didn't get much sleep. I was awakened by a wrestling noise. I decided to check it out. I didn't want to wake up my family, well, they wouldn't believe me anyway. I switched on the flashlight on my phone and went to explore. The sound was coming from the shore, from where the containers with our things were. As I got closer, I saw that one of the doors was open. I took a rock and threw it inside. There was a loud, ouch! After that, someone's shadow ran out of the container. I could have sworn it was a human. It ran into the bushes. I rushed after it. But as I was making my way through the bushes, I lost the thief. Now I knew for sure we were not alone. After closing the container, I headed back to camp. In the morning, I told my brother what had happened during the night. You must have seen a monkey, he answered. The only monkey here is you. Oh, you probably crawled in there yourself last night to get something to eat. Ah, shut up and help me catch the thief. All right, there's nothing else to do here anyway, my brother agreed. I took a stick and scribbled a drawing of a trap in the sand. We spent the evening making it. And when we were done, we high-fived each other. Jack proudly declared, Here, now when the thief opens the door, the net will shoot at him and we'll get him. Then my brother and I hid in the bushes and waited. Well, truth be told, Jack fell asleep very quickly, leaving me alone on guard duty. Suddenly, I saw the same figure creep up to the container door. He opened the door, hiding behind it like a shield. The net shot out and fell to the ground. The thief, as if nothing had happened, made his way inside, like he knew about the trap. I yelled loudly to frighten the thief, and then I rushed towards him. The burglar, however, tripped me. I stumbled and flew inside the box. I tried to get out, but he slammed the door. The goddamn thief outplayed me and wiped me out. I started pounding on the door, hoping someone would hear me, and it worked. A minute later, the door was opened by my satisfied brother. I shouted, what are you so happy about? We missed him. You missed him, I didn't. There was a thief lying in the sand, tangled in the net. My brother managed to catch him. We got closer. The thief started growling and kicking. When we got a closer look, we realized that it was a girl and she was our age. Jack said, we got a savage. You're a savage! Get me out of here! shouted the thief. We were shocked that she could talk. All right, but promise me you won't run away, I said. The girl reluctantly nodded. Freeing herself from the net, she shook herself off and said, I'm Erica. How did you end up on the island? Jack asked. Erica sighed and told us her story. Erica's father wanted to send her to study in Switzerland, but the girl didn't want to. She stole her father's sailboat to punish him, but she got caught in a storm. The girl fell overboard and lost consciousness, and then she woke up on the island. That was three months ago, maybe more, Erica added. Jack and I both whistled. But why didn't you come to us in the first place? What if you're slave traders or cannibals? She added, I want to go home. When are you sailing off? Tomorrow? The day after tomorrow? But my brother intervened. But we're not planning to leave. My father bought this island. What? But I thought... Erica cried. She turned around and ran into the jungle. My brother wanted to chase after her, but I stopped him. In the morning, we told our parents everything. 
Mom was silent, and Dad started laughing again. But to everyone's surprise, Erica walked into the bungalow. Dad was abruptly silent. Erica asked in a commanding voice, A ship with provisions ought to be coming to you. When? Father answered confusedly, At the end of the summer. Erica was upset, and she sat down next to us. She snatched the chocolate from Jack's hands and swallowed it whole. Jack didn't like that and called Erica a slob. The girl, of course, was offended. So she went to the beach. I decided to talk to her. Erica was, after all, surviving on the island on her own. She's a girl from a rich family. She is probably struggling here. In the sunlight, I was able to get a better look at Erica. She did look like a savage. That's when I realized I knew what could cheer any girl up. I ran back to my room and got a little backpack. And then I handed it to her. Erica was surprised and opened the bag. When she saw what was inside, her eyes lit up with happiness. She shouted, Real shampoo and cream, even makeup. Yes, this is my gift to you. She hugged me so hard that my bones cracked. After getting the backpack, Erica ran off into the jungle again. She didn't show up until the evening. My brother was eating soup when she came in. Erica looked gorgeous. Long, silky hair, makeup. Jack even dropped his plate of hot soup in astonishment. My brother jumped up and started pacing around the bungalow. After making sure he was all right, we all shared a good laugh. Jack was no longer rude to our guest. He spent the whole evening wooing her and trying to give her something to eat. He seemed to have a crush on her. But Erica didn't reciprocate my brother's feelings. She still remembered how Jack had insulted her. The summer was coming to an end, and Dad was starting to get tired. He admitted that his idea of living on the island was quite silly. Now we were all counting down the days together when the ship would arrive. One day, Erica was teaching Jack and me how to fish. Jack asked the girl, So, how do you throw a spear properly? Erica giggled and said to me, Ray, will you show him? I swung and threw the spear in my brother's direction. The spear landed right next to his leg. The guy yelled, Are you sick? Were you trying to kill me? I grabbed the spear and pulled it out of the water. There was a fish fluttering on the tip of the spear. I missed because I was aiming for you, I told Jack with a sneer. Suddenly, Erica pointed her hand somewhere in the distance and yelled, The ship! Ship! We turned around. There was a ship heading towards the island. The three of us ran to warn our parents. A few hours later, we were already loading our belongings on board. Of course, it was Erica who was the happiest of all. She kept rushing us. Come on, what are you doing? Hurry up! We were all ready for twilight. Erica and I stood on the deck and admired the stars. But it was Jack who spoiled the moment. He got seasick again and dumped everything he'd eaten at dinner overboard. Well, this time I felt a little sorry for him. Two days later, we were already in port. A black limousine was also parked there. A man who looked a lot like the rich man from Monopoly got out of it. Erica ran toward him. They hugged each other. It was her father. Don't ever run away from me again, he said with tears in his eyes. Not unless you send me to another country, Erica answered, also with tears in her eyes. I promise. Erica and her dad got into the limo and the car took off. Now tears were running down my cheeks. She left without even saying goodbye. But the limo turned around. Erica jumped out of it and hugged each of us. 
even Jack. To me, she said, Did you really think I was going to leave like this? And she hugged me tight again. She handed me a card with a number on it. Call me. Let's go to the movies this weekend, said my new friend. I'll definitely call, I smiled. Can I come with you? asked Jack. We'll think about it, Erica and I said at the same time. Anyway, it ended well. Erica mended her relationship with her father, our dad went back to business, and I met my best friend. How did you meet your best friend? Write it in the comments. Like this video and make sure you subscribe to the channel. Bye! Hello everyone, my name is Susie and I will tell you what it feels like to not taste anything at all. I never thought that that was possible in real life, but it turns out that it can happen to anyone. But first things first. It happened one spring day. My older sister and I were cycling in a park not far from our house. In general, I can ride a bike very well, and apart from that, I have quite significant experience in it. I've been cycling since I was six years old, but something went wrong that day. I wanted to show my sister how skillfully I could get from the curb to the road on a bicycle, but because of the wet road, the wheels began to slip and my bike fell down along with me. I could not manage to control the movement of the bike, so I collapsed to the ground and hit my head on the curb really hard. My sister Melody immediately rushed to me, but I lost consciousness. I came to my senses a few days later in the hospital. My head was bandaged, and there were a lot of sensors and doctors around. My mom was also present, and when I opened my eyes, she couldn't hold back her tears. It turned out that I had quite a serious head injury, which really scared all my loved ones. That day, it seemed like the worst was over because I finally woke up, but in fact, my biggest ordeal was yet to come. My mom, being happy that I was recovering, wanted to feed me with some tasty homemade food. As soon as the doctors gave the green light for her to do it, mom rushed home to bake my favorite strawberry tart. And finally, the long-awaited piece of tart was in my hand, and I was eagerly taking a bite of it. But suddenly, I faced a terrible disappointment. I couldn't taste anything at all. Then everything was like what you'd see in a movie. My mom was sobbing a lot, doctors were fruitlessly examining me and trying to find the reason for this, and I was crying into my pillow every night so that no one could see it. It turned out that when I fell down and got a head injury, some neural connections in my brain were damaged and I lost the sense of taste. Doctors were shrugging and saying that it would take some time and more thorough examination was required. Although, since then, a little more than a year has passed and I still can't taste anything. It makes my life unbearable and gloomy. I do not enjoy the food that I eat at all. As a result, I have a poor appetite. I lost weight and started having problems with my immune system due to the lack of vitamins. Doctors prescribed me a bunch of dietary supplements, which I always have to carry with me and take some of them on an empty stomach and others after meals. My classmates began to make fun of me because in the school cafeteria, I always had a pile of bottles with me. But then they found out that I couldn't taste anything and began to make experiments on me, adding a heap of salt or chili pepper to my food. My life began to seem dark and gloomy to me. I became more withdrawn and did not want to talk to anyone. There were days when I did not want to go to school at all and I came up with various pretexts to stay at home. My performance worsened, although before I had always gotten good grades. In short, it seemed to me that the whole world was falling apart around me and this was all because I had lost the sense of taste. At such moments, only reading could save me. 
I prepared a large cup of hot tea for myself, sat down by the window with a pile of books, and plunged into the unreal fantasy world to escape from my earthly problems. Yes, I did not sense the taste of tea, but it made me feel warm. Once, quite an ordinary morning began as always, with the bullying of classmates, but suddenly something happened that deeply struck me. One of my abusers, his name was Michael, suddenly began to intercede for me. Before that, Michael was absent from school for several days. Why is he protecting me? What happened? Before, he used to mock me, just like everyone else did. These questions were spinning in my mind like flies, but I couldn't find an answer to them. It even seemed to me that he had some tricky plan for me to get my guard down and then hurt me again three times harder. A week had passed since that day and none of my classmates were bullying me any longer. I was so used to being an outcast and a loser in our class that at first it felt totally weird that no one offended me. Later, Michael came up to me and asked to go to the end of the corridor behind the stairs where it was possible to talk face to face where no one could hear us. Well, finally, I thought and followed him. Michael said that he had been absent because he had a sore throat, so he needed to take sick leave. When he was ill, he wasn't able to taste anything for several days, and during this time, he understood how horrible my condition was. He felt ashamed that he had been mocking me and realized that it was not my fault that I suffered from this ailment. He asked me to forgive him and said that he knew how to help me restore my sense of taste, but for this, he needed a little time. After this conversation, I started hoping that I would become like everyone else again. My mood improved, I began to smile more often, and I felt a desire to live. About a month passed since I had that talk with Michael, and he invited me to go behind the stairs again to have a word with me. There, he showed me a small vial with green liquid inside. When I asked what it was, he replied that it was a healing potion, which his grandma, who was a healer, prepared specially for me. Michael said that I should drink it exactly at midnight, and then immediately go to bed without talking to anyone. Although I never believed in healers, I did everything as he said. When I opened my eyes in the morning, I immediately rushed to the fridge to try something and see if I could taste anything again. The first thing I found was a watermelon. I eagerly bit off a huge chunk, but then I was disappointed because everything remained the same. At school, I told Michael that the potion had not helped me, but he comforted me and assured me that I had to wait and the effect might not occur right away. I fastened on the hope, catching it like a lifeline, and just started waiting. I believed with all my heart and soul that the sense of taste would surely return to me again. But soon a miracle happened. One of my classmates gave me candy. I took it reluctantly because I still didn't get any pleasure from it, but I didn't want to offend her. Without much enthusiasm, I unwrapped it and bit off a piece and instantly sensed the taste of milk chocolate in my mouth. I could not believe it and started eating more and more of it. Now, I don't know what helped me get my sense of taste back. This could be thanks to the potion given by the healer, my faith, or because of positive thinking. Whatever the truth, with the returning of taste to my life, it acquired fresh colors. I felt complete again. I wanted to study and achieve my goals. This situation showed me that those who we consider our enemies are not always soulless and cruel. Sometimes they're just ordinary humans who are under the thumb of others and they do not want to stand out from the crowd. Apart from that, I realize that not every diagnosis is a verdict. How important is your taste for you? Have you ever thought about its role in our lives? Share your answers in the comments.
click the thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel to stay with us. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.